0: and welcome to Genius Little Minds, the podcast about childhood mental health from the perspective of a licensed mental health professional. I'm Dr. Madeline Vera, a clinical child psychologist specializing in infant mental health and childhood anxiety disorders. I'm also a mother of three little girls ages six, four and two and a half, so I can personally relate to a lot of the struggles parents go through. Raising healthy children is important. So, on each episode of Genius Little Minds, we'll dive into an aspect of childhood mental health. Children can be incredibly hard to read. One minute they're a happy ball of energy, the next they're having a meltdown. As a parent, it can be really hard to know whether the behaviors and emotions your child is displaying are developmentally appropriate, or whether they're pointing to a larger problem that needs to be addressed. I'm here to shine a light on the tough issues that families like you are facing every day. Things like childhood mood disorders, anxiety, tricky family dynamics, and more. I'll guide you through the various aspects of children's mental health so you not only understand your child better, but also feel empowered as a parent to make decisions and help them seek treatment if it's needed. My mission is to demystify childhood mental health issues so you can connect with your child better and help them lead a healthy, happy life. Throughout the podcast, I'll help you understand the signs, symptoms, and treatments for various childhood psychological disorders. We'll talk about how you can best support your child in both school and at home, and how to find professional help if needed. Together, we'll navigate tough topics like infant attachment, toddler tantrums, signs of anxiety, ADHD, and childhood depression, intrusive thoughts or obsessive behaviors, and so much more. So whether you're having trouble bonding with your newborn or you have an older child displaying behavioral difficulties, this podcast is for you. I work with infants and children with a wide range of mental health concerns. If you gain one thing from this podcast, it's that you are not alone. Thousands of families struggle with the same things that you do. And the good news is, help is available. I believe that with the right information, you can make empowered decisions for your family. There's so much to cover regarding childhood anxiety that I've broken this topic into two episodes. Today for part one, we'll cover questions like, is it normal for my seven month old to cry when I go to work? And what do I do if my child feels shy? we will cover eight childhood anxiety disorders identified by the Anxiety and Depression Association of America and their collaborative partner, Anxiety UK. Four in part one and four in part two. Over the course of the two episodes, I'll explain the disorders and their treatments so you can empathize with your child's experience and know what steps to take next. So let's get to it. What exactly is an anxiety disorder? It's completely normal for children to feel anxious or worried from time to time, especially when they're going through major life changes like starting a new school year or moving or making new friends. COVID babies are starting to emerge for the first time. So leaving the pod and introducing them to new people can be tough on parents. But for some children, their worries are so severe that they actually interfere with their life on a daily basis making it hard to concentrate, to sleep, or control their emotions. But at what point does regular old anxiety get classified as an anxiety disorder? When a child has an anxiety disorder, they feel extreme fear and worry. As humans, we all have a fight or flight response. But for children with clinical anxiety, this response becomes activated even when there isn't any real danger present. They might feel both physical and emotional symptoms of their anxiety and fear. And this can be very confusing and uncomfortable for both children and adults alike. Your child may not even be aware of their feelings or fully understand what's happening when they're anxious. They need you to help them name their feelings and understand they don't have to live with this anxiety forever. Rather, it's something that can be treated or managed with the right interventions. If your child is so anxious that they feel physically ill, have trouble focusing on schoolwork and aren't soothed by reassurance from you, then they may have an anxiety disorder. Let's talk about some common symptoms of anxiety before we jump into specifics. Does your child cry frequently, want to stay home from school and refuse to talk about things or engage with other children? Then they may be struggling with anxiety. And this is probably a dagger to your heart, right? Because you just want your baby to be happy. They have no idea how hard it is for you to watch them be upset. Physical symptoms might bubble up too, like stomach aches, headaches, clammy hands, a racing heart, or a dry mouth. As a parent, you think, do I need to take them to the doctor? Are they actually ill? A lot of parents I talk to feel helpless when their children are worried or not feeling well. They just want to wave a magic wand and make all their little angel's discomfort go away. Now, you may be wondering, how likely is it that my child actually has clinical anxiety as opposed to just regular stress? It's been a stressful couple of years with the global pandemic and everything. So how do I know if this anxiety is clinical or not? So first I'll tell you that anxiety disorders are actually quite common in children and adolescents. The Anxiety and Depression Association of America estimates that one in eight children suffers from an anxiety disorder. And in the UK, it's estimated that between 5 and 19% of children and adolescents have an anxiety disorder. These issues are incredibly common, but I can't stress to you enough how important it is that children suffering from anxiety get treatment sooner rather than later, so that their symptoms improve faster and are less likely to stay with them into adulthood. I know that if you're listening right now, you're doing the absolute best you can and you're searching for answers. My hope is that you'll walk away from today's podcast feeling empowered and hopefully have some clarity on what your child might be experiencing if they're super anxious. Let's talk about what causes anxiety disorders in children. First, I want to say disorder is not a dirty word. If your child does have a mental health disorder, whether that be an anxiety disorder or something else, it doesn't mean they're doomed. Second, when we're thinking about the anxiety our children experience, there's three major parts of the brain to consider. There's the reptilian brain or our survival brain, which is responsible for the body, breathing, heart rate, movement, sleep, etc. There's the mammalian brain or the limbic system. We call it mammalian because reptiles aren't exactly known for their rich emotional lives. The limbic system is responsible for emotions. And then there's the prefrontal cortex, the cerebral cortex of the brain, located at the front part of the frontal lobe. This part is responsible for higher cognitive functioning, like reading, writing, problem solving, etc. The limbic system can make the reptilian brain activate, which means a stress response is triggered for an emotional reason. Our brain evolved to keep us safe from danger but it can't always tell the difference between actual danger or something that's just a stressful situation. The brain's goal is to keep us safe. So over time, we developed a fight, flight, freeze, and fawn response. If a lion is chasing you, for example, to survive, you might try to fight it, run away from it, freeze, and hope it doesn't see you, or fawn, which is essentially trying to convince the lion to not eat you, probably not a great idea. So if your child is having a disagreement with a friend, for example, they might have the same fight, flight, freeze or fawn response. And when this happens, the frontal lobe responsible for executive functioning goes temporarily offline. It stops working. When kids are anxious, they experience a rise in cortisol levels of stress hormone and being chronically stressed or anxious actually increases the number of neural connections in the amygdala, the brain's fear center. And as cortisol levels rise, the hippocampus, which is responsible for learning, memories, and stress control, deteriorates. So you can see why treating anxiety is so important. We don't want our children to experience chronic stress and have it alter their brains. Now, there are genetic, biological, and environmental factors that contribute to a child having an anxiety disorder. You may be thinking, oh great, my child's anxiety is all my fault. I'm not here to point fingers or blame you for passing on anxiety to your child, not at all. I know you're doing the best you can with the resources you have available to you. My goal is to equip you with the knowledge and tools you need to help your child. I know that as parents you love your kids more than anything in the world, and you would do anything for them. But all too often, children with mental health issues don't receive early intervention. And research shows that early detection and intervention can make all the difference. Not only can it help reduce the severity of symptoms, it can vastly improve the quality of your child's life. It isn't what we all want. So if you're listening to this podcast, I can already tell you you're on the right track. Yes, it's true. There is a genetic component to anxiety as well. Just like your child may have inherited your brown eyes or your dark blonde hair, they may have also inherited your anxiety. Children of parents with an anxiety disorder can be as much as seven times more likely to develop an anxiety disorder themselves. You might recognize it in yourself. Genetics don't paint the full picture. However, environmental factors and caregiver behaviors also come into play. Maybe they saw you or another family member struggle with anxiety and learn to react to the world in the same anxious way. That's okay, don't lose hope. We'll go over treatment methods in part two of this anxiety series. But let's discuss the other factors that can contribute to children developing clinical anxiety, the biological and environmental factors. If your child's serotonin and dopamine neurotransmitters are unbalanced or out of whack, that may be contributing. And traumatic events, and when I say traumatic, that can include what we call big T traumas like abuse and little t traumas like a move. Both big T and little T traumas can also trigger the onset of a child's anxiety disorder. Let's talk for a minute about risk factors. A longitudinal study found three factors were related to higher levels of anxiety in children seven years later. One, a negative and chaotic family environment. Two, loss. And three, academic difficulties. Children whose parents were fighting a lot, had drug or alcohol problems, or their own psychopathology, as well as children who experienced academic difficulties or losses and deaths in their lives, like the death of a grandparent, showed more anxiety seven years later. Clearly, a child's environment can have an impact on his or her psychological well being. I hope that by bringing these issues to light, you can exercise compassion to yourself and your child and understand where their anxiety may be coming from. So, without further ado, Let's go into detail about the disorders, starting with Generalized Anxiety Disorder, or GAD. Generalized Anxiety Disorder is fairly common and is estimated to impact 2.9 to 4.6% of children and adolescents in the United States alone. It can be hard for a child with Generalized Anxiety Disorder, or GAD, to feel okay no matter what you say to comfort them. As the name suggests, a child with GAD can feel anxious about just about anything. From worrying they'll get sick, to being nervous about riding the school bus, to being afraid a tornado will strike their house. A phrase they might use often is, but what if, what if, but but what if, followed by the disaster of the day. Their brain is going into future-focused anxiety mode, trying to get them to anticipate what might happen next so they can keep themselves safe. As a grown-up, you know there are so many things in life that are out of your control. But how do you explain that to a five-year-old or a 12-year-old for that matter? Surrendering and letting go is a concept that's difficult for many adults to grapple with, let alone children. You may be wondering, how can I tell if my child has GAD? Everyone feels worried or anxious from time to time. Children are not exempt from that fact. However, a child with GAD experiences extensive worry for an extended period of time, and their fear and anxiety is disproportionate to the reality of the situation. GAD often presents as perfectionism in children and adolescents. They worry about performing perfectly in school or athletics, fitting in socially, And they may even worry about catastrophic events like a plane crashing with a loved one on it or an earthquake striking, etc. Children and teens with GAD also tend to seek constant approval or reassurance from adults or their peers. They might say things like, I can't do this because they're so afraid of humiliation or failure. Or, are you sure? To get that reassurance they need to feel safe. You know how capable, beautiful, and smart your child is, but it can feel hard to convince them of this in the moment, especially when they're feeling so anxious. And this fear is not only painful for you to watch, but painful for your child to get through if they don't get treatment. Now, let's talk about separation anxiety disorder. I get a lot of questions from parents about this. According to the UK National Health Service, separation anxiety is the most common anxiety disorder in children younger than 12. It accounts for half of the anxiety related mental health referrals in children. And it impacts about 4% of children between ages of seven to 11, affecting girls and boys at the same rate. Separation anxiety and a fear of strangers is actually a normal part of your child's development when they're between the ages of six months and about two years old. It might make your weekly date night super challenging, but this fear is normal. Typically, children grow out of it when they get older. As much as it might tug at your heartstrings, it's normal for your six-month-old to cry when you leave the room or for your two-year-old to cling to you when you need to go run a quick errand or for your child to cry a lot when you first dropped them off at preschool or nursery. These are all developmentally appropriate worries. Children are vulnerable. They depend on you as a parent to meet their needs and being away from you can feel really, really scary. But typically a child can be distracted from these anxious feelings if they don't suffer from separation anxiety disorder. Sure, they may feel nervous when you drop them off at grandma's for the day, but the crying will eventually subside when they get distracted and become engaged with their new environment. But if your child's separation anxiety is interfering with daily life and you can't go to work or they're struggling to socialize and learn, a bigger problem likely needs to be addressed. And if they don't grow out of the separation anxiety, that's when it can be categorized as a disorder. Like I said, it's normal for babies and young children to be anxious when they're first apart from a parent or caregiver. But over time, children usually adjust to this separation If your child is afraid of being away from you, clings to you, or has trouble sleeping alone, they may have separation anxiety disorder and it may be time to seek treatment. We're actually going to get a question about this later from a parent, so stay tuned to hear how she can soothe her seven month old. Next up, social anxiety disorder or social phobia. Social anxiety disorder is not the same as being shy. Children and adolescents with social anxiety disorder have an intense fear of being judged, rejected, or negatively evaluated in a social or performance setting, like at school. They might even be afraid of talking to peers or being called on in class. Approximately 7% of children have diagnosed social anxiety disorder. Depression, ADHD, substance use disorders, and other anxiety disorders are often comorbid in individuals with this disorder, meaning they present simultaneously. While it's normal for children, and especially teens, to be self-conscious from time to time, individuals with social phobia have an extreme fear of what people will think or say about them. They're often afraid of being weird or awkward in social situations, so they'll avoid them at any cost and it's really hard for them to have normal relationships and interactions because they're so distressed and self-conscious. Social phobia looks a bit different in children than in adults. If your child cries frequently, avoids interactions with adults or other children, and is afraid to go to school or participate in school activities, then they might be suffering from social anxiety disorder. Other symptoms include being afraid to ask for help in school, getting angry often, or being overly reliant on you, the parent, or the caregiver. People who suffer from social phobia will often avoid social interactions altogether, which can lead to fractured relationships and isolation. You might hear something like, nobody wants to play with me. But if your child is anxious, they could be pushing others away. Talk about heartbreaking. Don't you wish you could just accompany your child to school and show all the other kids how amazing they are? Social phobia can be incredibly lonely and arouse intense feelings of shame. If you notice your child is extremely uncomfortable and self-conscious around others, is afraid of being embarrassed, is extremely critical of themselves after socializing, and is deeply afraid of being judged, then they may need treatment for social phobia. Like many other anxiety disorders, CBT is the most commonly used approach for treating social anxiety disorder. So we'll discuss it when we get to the treatment portion in part two of this series. All right, next up, let's talk about panic disorder. Panic disorder often begins in adolescence and involves overwhelming physical symptoms of panic. Roughly 2.3% of adolescents between the ages of 13 and 18 have panic disorder. A child or teen with panic disorder might experience shortness of breath, chest pains, nausea, trouble breathing, trembling, dizziness, and other very uncomfortable physical symptoms. If you've never had a panic attack, you consider yourself lucky. They can be scary as heck. If your child is having a panic attack, they might feel like they're dying or losing control, and they'll probably have an intense desire to escape wherever they are. In the midst of a panic attack, it can be hard to know what's real and what isn't. Panic disorder can feel really scary. Your child might be afraid of what will happen if they have another panic attack, or they might express that they feel like they're going crazy. If your child or teen has had at least two panic attacks, is worried that they're going to have another one, and is avoiding places where they've had panic attacks in the past, then they may meet a criteria for panic disorder. A healthcare professional will be able to rule out other possible diagnoses like PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, or OCD, obsessive-compulsive disorder. This disorder is typically treated with CBT and breathing exercises. Many children and teens with panic disorder respond well to the combination of psychotherapy and medication. part of today's podcast, we'll have a Q&A so you can hear from parents just like you. Today, we have three callers with questions from all over the world.
1: Hi, I'm Beatrice from London. My seven-month-old daughter gets really worked up when someone isn't right next to her. She used to be fine playing by herself for short periods of time, well-supervised, of course. But now doing that is upsetting for her. Is that normal for her age? When does this usually pass? Um, she also gets upset when I hand her to the nanny in the morning, so I can work from home without disruption. Bella will see me occasionally throughout the day, when I'm taking breaks, but every time I have to leave her again, she gets worked up, and it takes some time for the nanny to settle her back down. Do I really need to just avoid seeing her throughout the day? Or is there a different solution? (sighs) She's also uncomfortable with other family members, like my in-laws. She prefers me, my husband, and my family. How do I get her to enjoy spending time with other people?
0: Thanks for the question, Beatrice. I know that having your child be so upset can be incredibly stressful for everyone involved. The thing is that separation anxiety at her age is developmentally typical. Between 7 and 10 months, babies usually have a very strong preference for their primary caregivers. Most babies, though, grow out of their separation anxiety within a few months, though for some, it can hang around still until between 18 months and 3 years old. In this case, it sounds like you and your husband are her primary caregivers. Now, leaving those primary caregivers can often mean tears and lots of cries as she gets older and spends more time with your nanny and in-laws. She will likely enjoy being with them more. Right now, though, be with her right next to her as she spends time with your in-laws. Over time, you'll see she will gain independence in her interactions with them and feel a lot more comfortable staying with them. You may find it helpful for all parties involved to not have the short visits with her throughout the day until this phase passes. Remember that this may not be for very long at all. Some babies, though, do better if the intervals that their primary caregiver is away is shorter. You can try each method for a few days in a row and see which one helps her more. Keep your goodbyes with her brief and as similar as possible. The more routine there is in how you say goodbye, the quicker she will anticipate the pattern of saying goodbye, time away from you, and then you coming back. You can also practice this routine with toys. For example, say bye-bye to a stuffed animal, then put the animal under a box, wait a little bit, and then pull the toy back out and act excited to see it. This will help your daughter learn that out of sight does not mean gone forever. This phase will soon pass. Hi, I'm Jason from Dublin. My seven-year-old son has an immunodeficiency, uh, which requires him to get weekly infusions.
1: He, he cries, he, he shakes, and it repeats out loud what is bothering
0: him, like he's he's stuck on the same thought loop. I just don't know what to do when he when he gets so upset. It's really, really hard to watch. I want to be helpful and and, and validate his experience, but what can I do to make this less painful and stressful for him
1: what do i say to prep him for a change sometimes we have to change the
0: injection site for example but in a way won't that ramp up his anxiety and 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 make him terrified what strategies can i use in the midst of his panic to help thanks for calling in jason this sounds like a terribly hard time for your family thank you for trusting me to help it could be helpful if you explain to your son beforehand what is going to happen and even discuss events that may not happen, but that are possible, such as changing the injection site. Walk through each step of the process and what will happen afterwards. Also giving him something exciting to look forward to after the injections may help him focus on that instead of on the injection itself. Allow him space to ask you questions or tell you how it makes him feel. Ask open questions such as, how are you feeling about the injection tomorrow? To get the conversation started. Keep conversations positive but also realistic. This is a very hard thing that he has to do. Remind him that he is strong and that you will always be there with him while these scary things happen. In the moment, there are various techniques that may help you calm him. Taking slow, deep breaths with you may be helpful. Rubbing his hands or providing some other sensory stimulation like a fidget toy could help distract him from the pain. He may also like the five, four, three, two, one 3 coping technique, which can help pull anxious mental energy back into the body, grounding and calming it so that it can release stress and focus again. In this exercise, your son would acknowledge five things that he can see, four things that he can touch, three things that he can hear, two things that he can smell, and finally, one thing that he can taste. This anchors his anxious mind to senses in the present moment. These techniques will be most effective if you practice with him beforehand, of course. Practice them when he is calm or when he's only moderately upset with any other issue. Good luck.
1: Hi, I'm Rebecca from Austin, Texas. What do I do when my four-year-old son feels shy? When he's around family or people he hasn't seen in a while, he won't leave my side. I don't want to force him to talk to other people, but it's a bit hurtful to his grandparents. And I don't want to encourage him to only be comfortable with me and his dad. Should I take him aside and ask him how he's feeling? I feel like he doesn't have the language to articulate why he's uncomfortable. Thank you.
0: Thanks for the question, Rebecca. At your son's age, it can be better to make observations instead of asking direct questions. Then just let him talk and listen to what he has to say. An example of this would be saying to him, I notice that you seem really uncomfortable when you're with grandma or grandpa. I wonder why that is then just listen. You will probably find that your son is far more likely to share how he feels once you have left the situation that is making him feel uncomfortable. Pulling him aside in the moment and asking him what is bothering him may work, but don't be surprised if he won't talk about it until you get home. Your son may just need time to feel comfortable in the new environment around people he doesn't remember. Until the age of six or seven, your child's memory skills are not fully formed. So while you remember every family member's name, face and life story, your son is not capable of that quite yet. If possible, stay with him and allow him to simply be present around his grandparents or other family members. Pushing him to leave you will likely only heighten his anxiety. What's key is to gradually expose him to similar social situations, which will take time and lots of patience. Managing family relationships can be tricky, but remember that your child's well-being comes first. Follow your son's lead and know that it is likely he will eventually remember everyone better and be quicker to interact with them. All the best. In today's episode, we covered a lot of ground on childhood anxiety disorders. Here are three key points to remember. One, disorder is not a dirty word, and if your child suffers from a disorder, it doesn't mean they're doomed. Two, anxiety can be inherited, but it is treatable, and the sooner it gets treated, the better. Three, when your child is having an anxiety spiral, their executive functioning is temporarily offline and their fight, flight, freeze, or fawn response is activated, which is a natural response to managing stressful situations. Believe it or not, we still have more to learn about anxiety in children. So make sure to tune into next week's episode to hear all about selective mutism, specific phobias, OCD, and PTSD. We'll also cover the treatments for these anxiety disorders and the ones we cover today. There'll also be more time to hear from more parents just like you who have questions on how to best help their children. To learn more about the topics we covered today, pre-order my Anxiety Disorder Therapeutic Book Series for Children. Through storytelling and beautiful illustrations, your child will learn to overcome the harmful habits and patterns they've developed while struggling with their fears. Pre-order Charlie Cub is Afraid to Leave His Mother, Priscilla Puppy is Afraid of Everything and even all six books for your anxious child today. You can pre-order them at www.drmadelineviera.com forward slash books forward slash I'm Afraid. If anxiety interferes with your child's life, please consult a mental health professional. Working in collaboration with a professional and letting your child know that you're confident he will be successful will give your child a stronger foundation and allow him to become his own champion fear fighter. I hope you enjoyed part one of my two-part series on childhood anxiety disorders. We'll see you next time. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode.